the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about church stuff, uh, things going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to the studio producer. Everything else will be hands-free and you will be safe. I know I say this every Friday. I'm like a broken record. Uh, We got a busy weekend ahead. I hope and pray that's the case for you as well, for God's glory. Um, Go to church uh, this weekend and um, see what you can do for the Lord. Uh, see how he wants to use you. You can be a blessing to someone else rather than just focusing on you being blessed. Um, empty yourself and say, Lord, uh, show me divine appointments. Show me people that are hurting. Show me somebody that needs to be prayed for. Maybe show me somebody who's not saved. Lord, I could share the gospel with them. It will change your church experience, I promise you. We've had a great week of Calvary Kids Bible School going on here. And tonight here at Calvary Chapel, uh, our Calvary Kids Bible School dancers are going to be doing our worship. We do this every year, and it's always a blessing to watch them. And, of course, Paula will be dancing, and there's a bunch of the other adults who will be dancing as well, the people who are volunteering and serving at uh, at the uh, VBS this week. It's always a neat thing. So uh, that's tonight. I'm going to be teaching, I think, a hard study, but 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 an important one out of Galatians chapter 5 tonight. And uh, from there, um, Sunday, I'll be teaching uh, beginning in Acts chapter 15. Not a particularly interesting chapter, but a very pivotal chapter in the history of the church, in the general church, the the, the uh, Church of Jesus Christ. So that's this weekend here. we got a wedding here tomorrow, uh, which is one of my favorites because it's going to be a Hawaiian wedding, which means nobody has to get dressed up. That's a neat thing. So uh, lots of stuff going on here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. 340-9585. Let me get right to some of the questions that have been sent in. Uh, Here's an anonymous question from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, I've been coming to the church for a couple of months and I'm very grateful the Lord brought me here. I have met or heard all of the pastors and they're wonderful men. Thank you for that. Uh, Then he continues, I've been to larger churches where they don't have half the number of pastors that you do. 
Uh, so my question is, why do you have so many? They're all wonderful. I'm not saying anything bad about them. Just curious as to why there are so many. Uh, my other question is, what do they all do at the church? Uh, I, I will forget some if I if I just try to go through them. But uh, one of the things that we want uh, here, Anonymous, is we want our pastors uh, to be available to the body of Christ. Uh, we have a lot of people. Uh, our building may be small, but we have an awful lot of people. And so the pastors we have here uh, have been with us for a very, very long time. And um, uh, not all of them are on payroll. They're not here full time, but uh, many of them are. And what we do, and, and this is something that the Lord has done at our church from the very beginning. Uh, God has brought men here to be raised up as pastors. And when God puts his hand on somebody, who am I to say no? So uh, we ordain them. Now, a lot of our pastors, uh, Anonymous, we have sent out to plant churches. Uh, I think we've planted in excess of 35 churches. I don't know the exact number. Um, but um, a lot of those men were raised to be pastors. And the men that we currently have on staff uh, are men that the Lord has allowed me to keep. Um, and uh, I don't question the Lord, uh, but we've got uh, people who um, we know are called by God to be pastors, and they're very uh, effective in their pastoral ministry here at Calvary Chapel. Um, let me just go through some of them, some of the key guys that, that, that are here on staff. Pastor Ken, of course, uh, is going to be the guy who replaces me eventually when it uh, becomes clear that I don't have the energy to do it anymore or God simply says I've done everything I can do and uh, he wants to turn our church over to somebody who's younger and smarter with more energy. Uh, Ken will be that guy. Uh, and he is, um, um, you know, I, I could call him an assistant pastor, but he's really uh, a co-senior pastor. He's the man I count on for all kinds of things, and he really supervises the staff at least as much as I do. So um, that's his role. Uh, our worship pastor is Pastor Elaine, and uh, not only is he a worship pastor, but we get a lot of mileage out of him. He's also the third grade teacher at our, our uh, free Christian Academy. Um, we have an outreach pastor. I actually call him a Joy of Jesus pastor. That's Pastor Juan. Now, all of these men have been with me for a very, very long time. Uh, pastor Juan is in charge of our evangelism outreaches. Uh, he also teaches Spanish uh, here in our junior high school and high school. Uh, pastor Alfredo also teaches here at the academy. It gives us an opportunity to always have a pastoral presence here. These men are teaching at the school, and uh, that consistent male figure uh, is very, very important. So uh, Alfredo teaches here at the school. He teaches a, a Saturday morning Bible study for men uh, and actually does a whole bunch of stuff. Um, he's indispensable and quietly and I should say this quietly, he's like my most faithful guy. I mean, he is indispensable in that I never have to even worry about him or think about him. Uh, he's just very, very faithful, and uh, I love having him here. Um, Dr. Peter is our uh, uh, in charge of multimedical. He and his wife are the two doctors, but he's also a Bible teacher and a gifted Bible teacher. He does worship on our Monday night um, um Bible studies, um, the men, the women, and the youth. He does all or leads the worship, he and his wife, Sheba. Uh, and so he's also uh, here and available for us. Uh, Pastor Will is the principal of our school. And one of the things that will always happen here, the principal will be a pastoral position. He does uh, a, a lot of counseling and has a lot of interaction with people. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Matt who is the newest one of the people here on our our uh, pastoral staff. Well, newer, but uh, Pastor Matt is our administrative pastor, and uh, he his role is indispensable to us. So we've got that, and then we've got Chris, uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew. They're our junior high school and high school pastors. Pastor Chris 
also teaches here at the academy. Uh, he is also the man that God has called uh, to develop a Bible college here at the church, and that's just in the process of getting started here. So we've got that. We've got Pastor Ed, who does our Spanish ministry. Uh, he is our Spanish language uh pastor, and um, he's fairly new, and Louis Henier, who's been with me for, gosh, I don't know, almost 20 years, uh, Pastor Louis is the newest one that we've ordained to our pastoral staff, and he teaches our foundations class, and, and he has a ministry with those people as well, uh, so lots and lots of people on staff, and believe me, they're all busy, uh, 11 of them who serve alongside, all of them called by the Lord. So I hope that answers your question, and um, I'm grateful to God for those people. Let's go to Anonymous from Smithville on line one. Uh, you have said in the past that in the Old Testament, Jewish days sometimes are often referred to uh, 12-hour half days, actually, can you provide a verse, an example with a verse uh, in the Old Testament that demonstrates that idea? Well, no, I, I don't. I, I can't. A day is a day, but but the, the Jewish day starts at sunset. Uh, so, f- for example, Saturday would begin the Sabbath, if, if you're looking at it that way, the Sabbath would begin at six o'clock and all you have to do is 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 read a little bit and you can't miss that. So so there they count their days starting at sunset. That's when the Sabbath would start and then um, um it, it's over uh the next day starts of course sunset the next day. So that would be the Sabbath and um, um, I, I can give you some resource material. There's a wonderful book, um, um, The Life and Times of the Messiah by Alfred Edersheim, uh, which is available, Jewish Customs and Practices, uh, another book by Alfred Edersheim. But this kind of material, Anonymous, is available uh, everywhere. Uh, all you have to do is Google uh, Jewish Sabbath, when does the day start? And you'll be referencing or you'll be referred to all kinds of extracurricular references. So um, we we the ones that start our, our day at midnight um, and, and th- they never did. So morning, Genesis chapter one, uh, the morning, uh, I'm sorry, the evening and the morning, the first day. The evening and the morning, the second day. So uh, that's just the, the way the Jews counted their time. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from Robbie. Uh, hello, Pastor Ron. Why do most pastors say the 144,000 Jews in Revelation will be preaching the gospel? How do we know that? Thank you. Um, Robbie, um, uh, you're right. The consensus is, without ever saying directly that they are preachers, the consensus is that these men are uh, supernaturally sealed and protected by God, and they're the ones that will lead the greatest uh, revival in the history of the world. Now, Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 4. Uh, we're told, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And this is a passage that is an interlude between the judgment of the sixth seal of the Great Tribulation and the opening of the seventh seal. Now, um, who are the 144,000? Um, we're, we're told clearly there are 12,000 from every tribe. Uh, 12 times 12 is 100, or 12 times 12,000 really is 144,000. So we know that they're Jews from each of the tribes of Israel. I always like to say that, you know, there's a lot of speculation about the what happened to the lost tribes of Israel. They've never been lost. God knows exactly where they are. That these Jews are sealed um, means they've got the special protection of God to do the work that they've been called to do. They're kept safe from all of the judgments that are going to happen uh, in uh, on the rest of the world. They're also going to be held secure from the wrath of the Antichrist who is going to go out and try to kill them all. They, they are freely able to perform their mission during the Great Tribulation. Um, uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, uh, prophesies that Israel would repent and turn back to God. We know that happens when Jesus returns, and the 144,000 Jews seem to be sort of the 
first fruits of that redeemed Israel. But their mission is not just for Israel. Their mission seems to be um, to uh, be evangelists in the post-rapture world uh, and to proclaim the gospel. Um, And again, as a result of that ministry, um, uh, a great multitude, this is Revelation 7, 9, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language will come to faith in Christ. So that's Revelation chapter 7, 9. So that's where we get that, and I think it is a pretty secure guess, Robbie, that these are evangelists. Um, I like to say when I'm teaching Revelation that the two witnesses, uh, Moses and Elijah, at the Western Wall in Jerusalem, um, they will be Jesus' witnesses to his own people. But these evangelists are going to be sent out into all the world. Uh, It's sort of like God giving them a last chance, uh, giving the people in the world a last chance to say yes. And and the ministry of these men uh, is going to be super effective. Uh, They'll be supernaturally empowered. And as I said a moment ago, they will lead the biggest revival in the history of the world, literally millions of people get saved. Now, the sad news for those millions of people is that they will be martyred for their faith uh, under the, the 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 altar of God in Revelation chapter five. You'll see um, the the bodies of those who have been martyred during the Great Tribulation, uh, and you'll hear them say, "How long, O Lord, till you avenge our death?" So they're going to die. They're going to be martyred for their faith, but they will receive Jesus Christ. And, of course, they will be in heaven with Jesus forever. So, Robbie, good question. Thank you very, very much for that. Here is a question. This one is also anonymous. Uh, He or she says, I get really uncomfortable when trying to share my faith. Is God disappointed in me? Um, God's disappointed for you. But I think we need not to humanize God in the sense that if somebody disappoints us, we say, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. God can't be disappointed in us because he knows what we're going to do. But the reason I say that he's going to be disappointed for you is because sharing your faith, sharing your faith demonstrates that you really do trust him. And when we share our faith, things happen in our walk. We're empowered by the the Holy Spirit. And God gives us many opportunities. In uh, Philemon, uh, the sixth verse, um, the Apostle Paul writes to uh, to Philemon, who is a pastor of the church in Col- one of the churches in Colossae. And he says, I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. And Anonymous, it's just crystal clear to me that people who don't share really don't get what God has done for them. And so it's not a matter of comfort or or lack of comfort. It's just a matter of duty and obligation. And I think sometimes we make it too difficult. We we make it hard on ourselves instead of just talking to people. Uh, And, you know, it's easy to talk to people. You can probably talk to people about anything, whatever it is you're interested in. You can talk to people about those things. But there's always going to be an opportunity to talk about Jesus, to share what God has done in your life, share how good he's been, how faithful he's been. And that can begin with just changing the way you talk to people. I tell people God bless them all the time. Uh, I'll give you an example. Yesterday at breakfast, there was this uh, big, big, big family, and they had a bunch of kids um, around. And and the little girl who was sitting closest to me was just as cute as she could be. And so I went up to them and I said, boy, when God made you, he gave you a double dose of cute. And all the people started laughing. But see, it gives me an opportunity to give them uh, the chance to respond when I say something like that. And, uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of opportunities. If you look for them, God will provide them. And what God wants you to do is trust him enough to get past your discomfort. So it's not, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell, you don't have to do that. Just talk to people normally and, and bring Jesus up in the conversation. Ask people, oh, where do you go to church? Look I look at the things they wear, their hats. Yesterday when I approached that table, there was a guy wearing a San Diego Padres baseball cap, the the, the father of that little girl. 
And uh, I, I said, oh, man, I have a Slam Diego hat and T-shirt. And, and of course, he laughed right away because he knows where that is. And, and I said, are you a fan? He said, yeah. And so we started talking. I said, you know, we, we vacation in Oceanside. And his wife, right then she goes, oh, we just came back from Oceanside. So we were able to talk about that. And there's plenty of opportunities to talk to them about Jesus in that process. But just talk about something that is of interest to you or of interest to them. And if you look closely at their T-shirt messages, the caps they're wearing, the kids they have, if you look closely, you're going to find all kinds of things that they really want to talk about. And one final thing, Anonymous, when, when you give people a chance to talk about themselves, believe me, they'll talk. Thanks for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, I pray that you get over your your discomfort. Janet says, is it possible to repent of sins after we die? I'd like to think, oh, she says, I like to think that God would give everyone a second chance. Uh, Jamie Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man to die once and then face the judgment. So the answer to your question is there's no second chance. Of course, a sinner would like to think that God would give everyone a second chance. We want to keep sinning to the last moment, and then when we die, Jesus says, look, you're going to go to hell because you didn't accept me, but I'm going to give you one last chance. Everybody would say yes. Unfortunately, Jamie, we have to make the choice of where we're going to spend eternity here in this life while we're alive. It's really that simple. We're all going to live forever somewhere. We choose while we're alive here where that's going to be. If we reject Jesus Christ while we're here, it would be cruel of God to force you to serve Jesus uh, in eternity. You wanted independence from God. God is going to say, I answered your prayers. You are independent of me. We call that hell, eternal separation from God. However, if you say yes to Jesus here, then you're going to spend eternity with him And we call that heaven. But the choice has to be made here. And there's not going to be any second chances. You know, Jamie, I don't have anybody waiting. So I'll tell you a quick story. In uh, uh, California, before we came here, there was a a guy uh, who lived across the the hallway, a very small apartment complex. And he lived right across outside. My door was his door. Really a nice guy. And he was a manager of an Alpha Beta grocery store in California. And... um, one night we were watching the news and there was a standoff at an Alpha Beta market. And this, this guy came in to rob the store. He was the night manager, came in to rob the store. And he took Albert, tied his hands, and then he duct taped the barrel of a, uh, uh, I think it was a 12-gauge shotgun, uh, to the guy's head, to Albert's head. And, um, you know, he was saying, I'm going to shoot him, I'm going to kill him. And, and, and this went on for hours. Well, when I saw Albert uh, a couple of days later, I said to him, man, I saw you on the news. Are you okay? And we started talking about it. And I said, yes. Now, I'd been sharing Jesus with him. And he was one of those, uh, he was a Catholic who, uh, not a practicing Catholic, but just one of those guys that, no, you know, I just don't have time for that. And and uh, I, I said to him, I said, let me ask you a question. I've told you about Jesus over and over and over. And you refused him. Have you thought even for a moment, what would have happened had he pulled that trigger? And he said, Ron, that's the only thing I've been thinking about. And I said, so does that mean you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know what he said to me, Jamie? He said, well, no, how do I know we don't get a second chance? That's the nature of sin. We want to sin so much that will invent these things. And even though he was facing death for hours, and that's just a terrifying experience. Well, maybe there's a second chance. I can have fun now and still make it to heaven. There's no second chance, Jamie. The Bible is the final authority. Leticia says... I recently lost my dad and I'm hurt and I'm angry. Is God uh, disappointed because I'm mad at him? Jamie, God is a big, big God. And he can take you being angry at him. Now, if you're angry at God, you're wrong. 
you're wrong, and I want to explain that. You know, somehow uh, we, we hear about other people dying and getting diseases and dying or heart attacks and dying or accidents and dying, and we don't get mad at God because somebody that we didn't know died. But somebody that we know and we think, well, God, you should have kept that from happening. I thought you loved me, and we get angry at God. So the point is, we're wrong. But God understands our emotions. He understands our pain. So I'm sorry that you lost your dad. But I'd I'd ask you to, to consider God for a moment. He didn't even answer the prayers of his own son to be spared from the crucifixion. He didn't even answer his own son. And he could have stopped it. Jesus himself said, I could have called down 12 legions of angels, but he didn't do it because he loved you and he loved me so much. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It's hard to see now. It's hard to feel now. But God will use this loss to draw you closer to him. And he'll make sure that in the end, this works to everybody's benefit. And then, Leticia, when we go to heaven, we won't have any more questions. We won't even ask questions. We'll have all the explanation that we need. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday program. I want to clear something up. My producer thinks I misunderstood um, the anonymous question from Smithville. Um, uh, he thinks that that the the caller was asking or was saying that he he heard me say that the Jewish day was twelve hours, and I never said it was twelve hours. And, and I'm sorry if I didn't if I wasn't clear in the past, but but the the, the day just starts differently. Um, the day begins at sunset for twelve hours. And then the evening comes for 12 hours, but but it's always been a 24-hour day. And I really apologize if I misunderstood your question, Uh, but 24-hour days has always been um, the story. It's just that they accounted for the time differently than we do. And that's why sometimes it's a little confusing for us. We read um, that we just automatically assume that morning is like our morning, uh, but their day begins in the evening at sunset. So that's what I meant, uh, Anonymous, and uh, I appreciate your patience with me. Thank you very, very much. Danny says, Pastor Ron is the fivefold ministry for today. The fivefold ministry. Uh, it's misunderstood. I'll explain it in just a moment. But it comes from Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So those are the five uh, offices. That these and these are typically uh, charismatic and many times out of control charismatic churches who refer to the fivefold ministry, and it's a lack of understanding. These are gifts God gave to the church. Now He gave apostles. There are no more apostles today, and they would say, "Well, if your church doesn't have apostles, you're not part of that fivefold ministry." Apostles and prophets. The next gift that God gave, Ephesians chapter two verse twenty says that those are the foundation gifts to the church. The church is being built, present active tense, is currently being built on the foundation already laid. And Ephesians 2.20 says that that foundation is the apostles and the prophets, New Testament prophets in this particular case are in view. Um, But with Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, that foundation has already been laid. Uh, and, and it doesn't need to be laid again and again and again. I think it's First Corinthians chapter three, verse eleven, if memory serves. 
It says that um, 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 there's only one foundation. Be careful uh, how you build. Uh, you can't do make any changes to the foundation that's already been laid. So um, the apostles and the prophets, um, that, that those are no longer active gifts given to the church. They are gifts that were given and establish the church, and the church is being built with the other gifts that were given. Evangelists have always been a cornerstone, people to go out and and make disciples to, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then some to give pastors and teachers. And in the Greek, that's not two offices, it's only one. Um, you know, you, you can be a teacher without having a pastoral calling, but you can't be a pastor without also being gifted to teach. Um, when Jesus restored Peter, he said, uh, uh, Peter, tend my sheep or tend my flock, feed my sheep. And the idea there is teach them the word. Uh, and so um, uh, to be a pastor, you also had to be a teacher. And that's the specific reference there uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, verses because uh, you're not too often you get to read that you're a gift to the church. Well, I'm a gift to our church, and so is your pastor, uh, whoever he is. So the fivefold ministry is misunderstood and misapplied, and the the ministries that are active in the church today are evangelism and uh, pastors who have the gift of teaching. The other gifts have already been given, uh, and and if you go to a church. Uh, where they claim to have apostles and prophets, you're in a church that is badly out of control uh, and and out of order as well. Thanks for the question. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, happy Friday. Oh, happy Friday, Pastor Ron. First, I thought that your intro to Leviticus was so fascinating. I, it, it, it was so good. It, <laughs> honestly, it was. I just don't have words for how good it was. I'm curious about something, and that is... In the first chapter, which we were at, on verse 11, they slaughter the um, the sheep or the goat, and it has to be put on the north side of the altar. And I was curious what why, why there would be a, a specific location, because later on you have the dove, or and it's put on the, I think it says on the east side. Yes. Yeah, it's on the side. It will be drained out on the side... Sorry, I'm, my little ducks are getting away from me here that I had in a row. Well, it was supposed to be on the east side, I thought, of, of the altar. And I was just curious why there would be a uh, location on that if, that, if that has any reference to anything. And the other thing was about where was washing the innards were, or the entrails. Are those like the, the innards of an animal? The intestines, yeah, those are the intestines and and the unclean things need to be washed before they can be burned on the altar. So that that's all it is. I, I made the, the reference to Menudo. You know, we, we have a bunch of people in our church that love Menudo. And I said, any of you who've scrubbed intestines making Menudo understand what this is all about. And so that was just to make sure that it was clean and healthy. Cindy, regarding the, 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 the directions that they were offered, I think there were just different directions for the different offerings, different for the bull or, or oxen, different uh, for the, 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 the goat or the lamb, and different for the birds. And we're not told why. We're not told why, so there's no real answer to it other than, um, you know, the details I mentioned in that Bible study uh, are important uh, because they indicate that there was a very specific way to come to the Lord. There was a very specific way to offer your sacrifices. And, of course, that's a picture of the... Uh, the the one way that we come to Jesus or come to the Lord, come to the Father, and that's through the Son. So there's no explanation given. And rather than speculate or try to over-spiritualize what they are, uh, it's just better to say, God has a reason. Maybe we'll know it when we get to heaven. Maybe it was important. Maybe it wasn't. But the obedient offering of the sacrifices um, um, mattered the most. So um, that's that's really all I can say. Cindy, thank you for your kind words about the Bible study. You know, uh, there there really isn't anything at all uh, interesting about Leviticus. It's in, it's necessary. 
and it's important, but it's just not interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I'm reading um, the, the book personally now, and um, you know, there, there's all kinds of regulations for um, cleansing uh, from from uh, wounds and discharges and bodily fluid discharges and blood and all the things. And you just think, oh, this is this is really creepy. Um, but one of the things we have to remember is that God promised His people that He would keep them healthy during the forty years in the in the wilderness. Uh, that they wouldn't get the diseases that the pagan peoples around them got. Uh, he'd, he'd keep their clothes and their shoes from wearing out. But he'd keep them, and I think this is key, from getting diseases. And we look at at Leviticus and we say, why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense. But, but the reality is God had a reason for it. And the, the, the response of God to the people's obedience was that he kept them healthy for 40 years in the wilderness. And we'll talk about that different places as we get to it in the book of Leviticus. You all can pray for me. Um, you know, nobody wants to go up to the pulpit with a Bible study that's not interesting. But sometimes you just got to work hard, get through things, and we're going to get through Leviticus as well. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. here is a really interesting question that I haven't had much time to think about. Um, and probably before I answer it, I ought to think about it a little longer. So I'll be very brief this time, and then um, maybe upon further reflection, I'll have something more to say. This is an anonymous question, and he or she says, uh, looking back on the COVID pandemic, what lessons should be learned from it? Uh, I'm going to confine my my remarks to what lessons should be learned as Christians. And I think one of the lessons that we we really need to take from the, the pandemic experience is that we need to trust God. We need to trust God. You know, it's an amazing thing that we were terrified. Um, I, I mentioned in a Haggai study that, that I did, uh, I think I'm going to be talking a little bit about this tomorrow in our pastor's discipleship class. Um, but um, we're talking about as soon as somebody on television, whether it was Fauci or anybody else, um, said, you got to stay inside, you got to wear a mask, you, you can't do this, you can't do that. We took our kids out of school, knowing it wasn't good for them, uh, either in terms of their education or, or their psychology. Um, we, we didn't let them play with friends. We, we just We kept them sort of covered up. And all because whatever the government told us we were afraid of. And yet when God tells us to be afraid of something, we just sort of shine it on. And I think what we needed to do, Anonymous, is we needed to be uh, able to go to the Lord and say, you know what, forgive me for being so fearful. Uh, We let the COVID pandemic shut down churches. Now here at Calvary Chapel, we were closed for nine weeks um, as soon as the governor said it was okay, and this was at the very beginning of the pandemic, and nobody knew then what COVID was going to turn out to be. But we shut down for nine weeks. The minute the governor said we could open, and then a little bit later, the minute the governor said that we could come back to school, Christian schools or r- private schools, um, we did it. And I took a lot of flack for it. There were a lot of people who, who thought I was handing their children a death sentence. Um, how could you be so cold-hearted? And, and, you know, basically I tried to tell our church, trust God. we got to trust God. We've got to understand that we've got to obey God. The government may say that we um, can't meet together. But the Bible says we have to meet together. Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. And we have to make a decision. Are we going to obey God or are we going to obey men or governors? And we made that decision very early and we stayed faithful to it. And uh, and, and praise the Lord, uh, uh, he's, we were blessed as a result of it. We're still getting a bunch of people who are just returning to churches. Uh, their churches closed down and their churches shut down for so long. We're still getting people who come in and say, oh, I've never heard the Bible taught like this. So God is, has blessed our obedience. I think there's another thing, and this um, is, is sort of in conjunction with our faith, but we need to learn how to think. Uh, logic left the house during COVID. 
They said these ridiculous things. And people were terrified because of those ridiculous things. And all you had to do is think about it. None of it made any sense at all. And yet we submitted to it. And we did it in spite of the fact that we wouldn't submit to God, that we wouldn't trust God. So Anonymous, I I might have some more comments on this another time, but rather than just shoot off the cuff, I'd rather have a little bit of time to think about this. But but I I think our, our faith... Um, not giving in to fear and not listening to sensationalism, all those kinds of things uh, are lessons that we should have learned from the pandemic. 340-9585, Nicole, um, would God forgive the devil if he repented? And should we pray for the devil? Um, Nicole, um, God would not forgive the devil because the devil is not going to repent. And remember, God already knows that. So, um, you know, the devil had one chance when he was Lucifer. Um, he, he was in the presence of God. And uh, the idea is through much is given, much more is required. The angels were given a one-time only chance. They saw God. They're in his presence. And when they had the opportunity to rebel... Um, a third of them did not. A third of them rebelled, and 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 two thirds of the angels kept their first estate. Um, but they only had a one-time only chance. Unlike humans, we can ask for forgiveness. Uh, we can mess up again and repent and ask for forgiveness again. We can do that, but the angels could not. They are way more accountable than we are, uh, and that's why they get a one time only chance so um, God will not forgive the devil because the devil will not ask and should you pray for the devil the devil is an enemy of God uh, and he will get his in the end and of that we can be sure here is an anonymous question oh no it's not anonymous I'm sorry I can't see well it's Anne's from Anne she says I've been hurt a lot by church people who judged me how can I get over my bitterness and anger? And, and I say this lovingly. I, I, please don't take it personally because I say this to, to my church and they know I love them. we got to get over ourselves. Now, I don't know how you've been hurt by church people. And when you say people judged you, they're not judging you by telling you that something you're doing is wrong. I mean, if you're in a relationship with somebody you're not married to and that relationship is sexual... Nobody's judging you by saying you got to stop that. That's sin. They're loving you and giving you a chance to get right with God. And that's just one example, but there's all kinds of examples. Um, um, people's marriages are a mess. Don't judge me. You don't know what I go through at home. We're not judging you. We're trying to get you to enjoy the fullness that God has for you. We want to bring you to a place of repentance where your relationship with God can be restored. That's not judging you. And too often, when people who are doing sinful things are told, oh, you can't do that. Christians can't do that. You know, we'll pull the you're judging me card. And that's not what we're doing at all. We want you to enjoy the best God has for you because we love you that much. So you know what the specifics are. But you got to get over yourself. Your bitterness and your anger, your unwillingness to forgive people, even if they were malicious in their comments, your bitterness, your anger, your unwillingness to forgive are sins that you need to repent of. And I say that because God wants to enjoy the fullness of his relationship with you. And right now you're keeping God too far away from you. So get over yourself, give other people grace, and understand that when people tell you that something you're doing is wrong or sinful, if that's the case, it's because they're being loving towards you. It's not judging you, it's not gossiping about you. When we see people in sin, we have an obligation as Christians, especially those who call themselves Christians in, We have an obligation to tell them the truth in love. Now, it's going to end a lot of friendships. People don't like being told what they're doing is wrong. 
But we've got to do it nonetheless. That's our responsibility. And if there are people in your life who care enough about you to tell you that something you're doing is sin, you should be grateful to God for those people because you're truly blessed. Hope that helps. And I'll be praying that you'll open your heart. Here's a question from Lionel. Ooh, I've never had this question before. If I have a DNR, DNR, which is do not resuscitate, does God consider that suicide? No, Lionel, he doesn't consider that suicide at all. Um, the one thing, and Paul and I, we've talked about these things. You know, you talk about this kind of stuff when you get older. But, um, you know, I don't want, you know, extreme measures taken to save my life. If I'm in the hospital, I don't want somebody pounding on my chest or putting tubes down my throat. Um I, I want to be with Jesus, and I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to be the one in charge of the timing of my death. Because when I die, that's when I really, really live. And Paul and I, we've talked about that, you know. I don't want to see her in the hospital with tubes or, or you know, just being there laying in a hospital bed. Um, we'll leave the time of our death. I'm sorry, we'll leave the time of our death up to the, the sovereignty of God and be be fine with that. So, no, Lionel, if you have a DNR, that's no problem at all, and it's not suicide at all. And by the way, um, I think this is something that families should talk about. I think it's something especially that we, we parents with children, grown children, but uh, we need to talk to them about these are my wishes. Um, you know, we, we don't want the kids to feel guilty about having to make the decision to pull the plug or take us off life support. Just let them know what your wishes are. Put those wishes in writing if you're, if you're ill so you can prepare for it. But what, what you do is you, you just you take the burden of making that choice off of them. So, Lionel, I think this is a good thing. And uh, as for me personally um, and Paula. I can speak for her. Um, You know, as much as we would like to hold on, I really think there's nothing in the world more selfish than, I mean, I can't imagine looking at Paula and saying, no, I can't let her go, I can't let her go. And Jesus saying, excuse me, I'm her first husband, remember? So uh, I hope that, that answers your question, Lionel. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Martin or Martine. Uh, I visited your church and noticed that you do not have Sunday school. Why is that? Uh, Martine, Sunday school, now remember, I wasn't raised in church. Um, I'd never even opened a Bible till I got saved. So I'm one of those rare guys that I had no church or religious baggage. And um, having gotten saved, I just never really understood. I never really understood what Sunday school was all about. Um, when you come to church, it's to learn about Jesus. And we do that in our worship services. I teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, and that's Bible study. And as I understand it, Sunday school is where a lot of churches, they'll do little Bible studies. And I've always noticed in talking to the pastors that the attendance in their Bible study Sunday school time uh, is is minimal compared to the worship service. And so I wanted to give the people that come to the worship service, I want to give them the best that we got, and that's the Word of God. And so Sunday school just doesn't really make any sense. There's another practical reason. Um, We are packed wall-to-wall every Sunday. Um, uh, We're on a very, very tight schedule. Uh, And because of the emphasis that we place on teaching the Word, there's no time between services to take a break and have an hour set out for for Sunday school. Um, so we, we do all of the learning and our worship in the same service. Our services last, Martine, probably an hour and 20 minutes um, when we're doing well. That's about what they should take. I could make them longer, and sometimes I talk too much, and I do. But I, I think that's that's pretty much enough time to worship the Lord and really dig in and teach the Word uh, at, a, at a depth of of uh, a level of understanding that I think is is important. So that's the reason that we don't have Sunday school, and we have no plans to change that. 
Charles, this will be the last question for the week. Charles says, are altar calls biblical? My friend says they're not. Um, you know, the, the Bible from cover to cover is filled with invitations. Uh, Choose this day who you will serve, Joshua said. I mean, on and on and on, um, um, New Testament and the Old Testament, uh, people are invited to come to Jesus. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he says. So um, um, altar calls, the way we do them in our culture, is not in the Bible in the sense that that there's a, a model given, but there is nothing unbiblical about invitations as well. So we want people to come forward. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. There's something that's important about a public profession of our faith. So uh, I, I give people, Charles, a chance every time I teach to to say yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I typically will give, not always, but typically I will give uh, believers who have walked away from the Lord who are, or who are in sinful rebellion against the Lord, I'll give them a chance to repent and get right with God. So that's, um, that's why we do the invitations. I cannot imagine, Charles, not giving people who come to church a chance to come to Jesus. Hey, thanks for tuning in. It's been a good week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Go to church this week. Find somebody that you can minister to and feel the smile of God in your life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back, Lord willing, on Monday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.